My name is Hyden Radden. I'm the senior pastor here at Walk Church. Um, but today you get a chance to hear from a friend of mine who is a brother in Christ. He's a pastor. He's a leader. And he's a man of God. His name's Kevin White. And he's the executive director of the Nevada Baptist Convention uh, here in the state. I was going to say right here in Las Vegas, but we're not limited to Vegas, even though that's where my heart's at. We got love for Reno and all the other cities too. Um, but Kevin flew down from Reno to be with us this morning as God's given him a word uh, in our Game Changer series. And I believe that he's going to bring it. One of our core values here at Walk Church is called kingdom collaboration. In other words, we're better together. We can get more done if we lock arms and partner than we could do by ourselves. And we believe that to be true. The Nevada Baptist Convention has partnered with us from the very beginning of our church up until this very moment. Some of the things you saw on the screen we were able to do because of their partnership, whether that be resources or financially, just helping us out along the journey. We couldn't do what we do without the NBC. So it's an honor to have Brother Kevin White with us this morning to share his game changer moment. And I want to welcome you up to the stage now, Pastor. Come give us a word from the word. Oh, hello. Good catch. Amen. Wow, we almost had a healing service there. I stepped on that. So datingwalkchurch.com, is that what I got out of that whole? I was going to write that down. Dot, there's all these .com now. That was exciting. Yeah, that's right. Oh, man, listen, take your Bibles, your iPads, your, your iPhones, whatever you have the Word of God on, and open it up to Hebrews chapter 11, if you would. Hebrews chapter 11 is where I'm going to be, kind of the game-changer moment for me that Hayden asked. And while you're turning to that, let me just share with you guys a few things. Uh, uh, one of which, just what a joy it is to be back here. I, I can't remember, it was like a year or so ago I was here. I was here for your launch. I'm so grateful for uh, just the excitement in this church, uh, the music. Have you ever been singing a song and then all of a sudden become convicted? I, I worry about people that don't worship, truly worship and hear the Holy Spirit speaking. But I was listening and singing and it was talking about I, you're my all desire. You're all my desires, Lord. And I want to be honest with you. Right at that moment when I sang that, the Lord just kind of touched my heart. And like, Kevin, am I really? And I think sometimes it's good to do that check, isn't it? Because even when we don't intend, even when we don't plan on not having God as all of our desires, he, he reminds us, I need to be your whole desire. I need to be your everything. And so God really kind of challenged me there. And so I want to thank the worship team for that beautiful music and, and uh, allowing the Holy Spirit just to touch me at that point and get a check. Uh, but it is good to be here. It is... I tell you, people ask me exciting things. Let me just ask you, and I know Vegas is on your heart, brother, and Vegas is on my heart, and we still have more churches to plant, and we've got more areas. I'm grateful for this church. You mentioned Hope Church. Some of you guys are with us. Man, praise God for Hope Church and just what you guys have done helping us get churches started. But let me give you some statistics about Reno, what's really on my heart right now, not just because I live up there. But you may not be aware, but Reno just hit one of the fastest growing, uh, the top five fastest growing cities in America. And it also hit another number I'm not really proud of. It is the second most unchurched, unreached Christian group or city in America behind San Francisco and the Oakland uh, area. Uh, Vegas is number five on that list, so we still have work to do here too. 
But I want to tell you that I have a burden for that because they're calling Reno the next semi-valley. You wouldn't believe the companies that are moving in there. There's such a housing explosion. You can't find houses. It's even just close to my house. They're building 1,800 new homes in this area, 2,300 new homes over in this area. And Hayden, when I look at that, I'm just thinking, man, Lord, give us churches, man. Give us pastors. Give us planters so that we can reach these people for Jesus Christ. So, yes, we want to reach Las Vegas. But right now, we got a big push to try to get some more churches up in the Reno area as well. So... But let's get started on what God, a game changer is what he told me. Man, I have so many game changers in my life, it's unbelievable. Does anybody else have a lot of game changers where God just reached out and grabbed you, changed directions? You know, uh, I, I did the, a lot of hunting up in the Northwest when I lived up there. They have blackberries. They have so many things with thorns and everything else on it. I call them wait-a-minute bushes because you're hunting and you're going along and all of a sudden one of those bushes grab you and go, wait a minute, you ain't going anywhere. And by the time you got unstuck from everything, you could finally go hunting. God has these wait-a-minute moments. Have you ever noticed that? He just reaches out and he grabs you. And I want to tell you about that. And I want to talk to you about faith. I want to talk about faith, the realm of the impossible. You see, God doesn't sit there and say, okay, once you become my follower, you're going to understand everything about my kingdom. In fact, when you can read the apostle John in his writings, he says, there's far more things than this that are so vast that I don't even understand. So folks, if the writer of John didn't understand, what makes you think that you and I are going to understand all the vastness of God? So God has us on this journey, ladies and gentlemen, a walk. He has us on the walk. And as we're on this walk, he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. And there's moments he grabs us because we start drifting off. It's like one of your children that starts to cross the road before it's time. And what do you do? You reach out and you grab them and go, no, not yet. And God, being the loving father that he is, he teaches us. And there's nothing better than when we get as Christians or followers of Christ, where we get to the place that we think, aha, I've arrived. Anybody been there before? Don't raise your hand. You know who you are. Most of us Christians have had a moment where we went, uh-huh, I'm there. I know all of it. I know what I'm supposed to do. And God grabs you and he reminds you just how feeble you really are and how much you really need him and that we're never going to be complete until we find ourselves face-to-face with Jesus Christ in heaven. And so back in New Year's Day 1990, I had one of those moments. You see, I'd been pastoring for a few years already, and God had recently called my wife and I to go and plant a church. Now, I'm going to say the name. Most of you won't know it. It's outside of Reno in Fernley, Nevada. See, some people know where it's at. Friendly, Fernley, you know. He called me to be a church planter there because one day I drove through town. Now, this is how boring my life is. Okay, I'm just going to confess to you guys right now. I have a boring life. I'm just not as cool as Haydn. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Haydn has this exciting life. He's got that strut, you know. He just, he just cool, you know. I'm more like a weevils wobble, but they don't fall down kind of guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so... My wife and I are coming back from Reno, heading back out to Austin, Nevada, where we lived, and I worked in mining and all this stuff. And we had heard on television that Fernley had just received their first traffic light. <laughs> now, being boring as I am, I said, hey, babe, I think we ought to drive through town and check out that traffic light. <laughs> 
So instead of going the bypass, we drove through Fernley, Nevada to check out the traffic light. Because I'm exciting. And then when I stopped hiding at that traffic light, I couldn't stop crying. Because the Holy Spirit moved on me in such a way that at that time, there's closer to 10,000, 20,000 people. But at that time, there were 5,000 people that lived in that town and there was no real church. And I couldn't stop crying because God said, I'm calling you to plant a church here. Amen. Boy, I tell you. Life went from boring to pretty exciting at that traffic light. My wife goes, what is wrong with you? And I said, honey, we've got to come here and plant a church. At the time, I was working as a corporate safety and security director for U.S. Gold Corporation. I walked in, and I quit my job, and I moved to Fernley. This is 1990. Now, see, this just proves church planning has been around for a while. Not just you cool people were doing it. <laughs> Us weebles who wobble, we were doing it a long time before you came along, brother. Oh, man, God just blessed. That first year we baptized uh, like 60 people. It was just awesome. I mean, I had nine little people there, and God just began to work. And, man, and anytime God starts working, you understand Satan will start working. And I thought I had the faith that was required by God until New Year's Day 1990 when my oldest son, who was of the age of four, I had no medical insurance, nothing. We went to the store to get some laundry soap and some movies to watch with the children. And when my son turned around, there was a metal peg there that went into his eyeball, missed his brain by nine centimeters, ripping out his iris, his lens, his cornea, and detaching his retina. Within the first week, I was $72,000 in the hole because of no insurance. Some of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. I'm wondering, what are you doing, Lord? I'm, I'm doing what you said. I, I quit my job. I'm planting this church. God, you're doing all kinds of, of, of this to me. What is going on? And I want to tell you, that was a change moment for me, Hayden. That was a change moment where I realized I did not have the faith or understand faith the way God wanted me to understand it. You see, I was doing a study in my church by Manly Beasley called Faith. I encourage any of you to do it. Blessed saint has gone on to the Lord by now. But I want to tell you that when I was going through this and trying to understand what God was putting me through all of this and the stress that it put, as I studied that, I discovered that, listen, that God was not putting me through this because he didn't love me. He didn't put my son through this because he doesn't love him. And which, by the way, some of you have met that son. His name is Bo. He's a missionary over in Islamic Nation. I might, can I just share with this? I, I got to be careful because this is being filmed, but I sharing with Hayden a picture. Outside my son's house are these military police because we found out right before Christmas that ISIS has put a hit out on my son because of their movement against Christianity. I asked my son, I said, what are you going to do? Now, this is the same little boy who was four years old, and I said, son, what are you going to do? And he goes, dad, God didn't bring me here to live in fear. For greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he preached on Sunday, Christmas Eve. And he preached on Christmas. And then he shared with me the, uh, last week about baptizing three new Islamic believers in the name of Jesus Christ. 
You see, that's why Satan strikes us. You see, God doesn't put us through this faith areas so that we will struggle. And, and I, need to, I need to move quickly, guys, because I don't want to take too long. We're running behind here. But I want to share some things with you, and I want you just to challenge and allow the Word of God just to touch you. We're going to be kind of all around Hebrews chapter 11. But I want you to ask the question, where is my faith? And before you sit there and you give me the God Jesus Bible answer, let me tell you something. At the moment of my son's accident, I would have told you that my faith was as solid as it had ever been. But I want to tell you, that's that, wait a minute. And God says, I'm here to make you better, Kevin. I'm here to improve you even more. And so to, to, before we read into our text of Hebrews chapter 11, you understand that if you want to understand what chapter 11 is about, you need to see kind of what chapter 10 was saying and also what chapter 12 was saying. You need to look at the context. So we're going to unpack this just a little bit. And we're going to look at the writer of Hebrews who's writing to these persecuted Christians Jewish Christians, and he's trying to encourage them to hang in there and don't give up because that's what God was telling me. He was telling me, hey, listen, hang in there. Don't allow circumstances. Don't allow people. Don't allow hardships to get you to give up. So jump over with me to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're actually going to start Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 39. Hayden, would you mind handing me my water? I apologize, folks. I've been fighting a cold. Anybody else fighting a cold around here lately? Oh, my goodness. And you take that cold medicine, it dries you out. And then you sound like you're preaching in tongues, and it's just a bad thing. <laughs> All right. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 32. This is the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some say Paul, but other theologians say, no, it isn't Paul. But we do know that it is proper because he was instructing the Christians, the Jewish Christians who were suffering great hardship. He says, remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened? Now, what does that mean, enlightened? That means after they'd received salvation. Do you remember those days? Sometimes I think we need to go back to the pillars of our faith. Do we not? Sometimes we have to go back and remember what it was like when we first got saved. Man, when I first got saved, I could have taken hell on with a squirt gun. I mean, I was just so committed to Christ. I was so excited about what God had called me to do. And so the writer's here trying to remind them. He says, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. It means they lost everything because of their faith and they counted it joy. Christian, listen, if we want to be challenged, how many of us would say, you know what, I lost everything, but I still have Jesus Christ. That's where the, the pricking of my heart came when we sang that song about, man, Jesus is all that I need. Is he really? Then why is it that I hang on to so many other things in my life? Can I, amen. Come on, guys. You with me here? Yes. I'm not the only sinner in this crowd, am I? <laughs> I mean, that's what I struggle with. And so I, I was pricked this morning and reminded of this. Man, I, I try so hard to hang on to so many things. And it says, with joy, the confiscations of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves have a better endurant, uh, enduring possession. What is that better enduring possession, folks? We have Jesus, yes, we have Jesus, a treasure within us. Man, they can take it all from me, but I have Jesus Christ in my heart. I truly believe that he is greater as he that is in me than he that is in the world. This changing moment for me as I realized what the scripture was telling, 
He says, so don't throw away your confidence. You know how many times I've thrown away my confidence? Have you, ever, you don't raise your hands, but at least nod your head so I know you're alive. You ever thrown away your faith sometimes and it wasn't as strong as it should have been? You ever felt like giving up? Come on now. Am I the only one that's ever felt like giving up? Just throw up my hands and say, man, I can't do it. And then God rushes in, and when I was sitting there with my little boy who was four years old, and his eye was so damaged, and they're telling me I needed so much money, and I had a struggling church. I was mowing lawns for four fifty an hour. I, I was at the end of my rope. And I remember seeing these words, and I remember reminding myself, wait a minute, don't throw away my confidence in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you something, but I don't want it to be offensive. Please understand the pain and where I was at at that moment. I was a young 22-year-old pastor who was planting a church. And I remember seeing those words, don't throw away your confidence. And as I was standing there in the emergency waiting room, and as the doctor came out and said, Mr. White, we may have to remove the eye, and this may take place, and it's going to be a long journey for your son, and all of these things happening. I, I remember standing back and saying, you know what, Satan? You've thrown everything you can at me, but I will not give up on Jesus Christ. And then I made a statement that made my church members kind of freak out. I said, you know what, Satan? And I was talking to him out loud because I know, and, and I know some struggle with satanic attacks, but the greatest thing that Satan wants is for you to give up on the glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. And he will pound on you and pound on you and pound on you, trying to get you to give up. And I remember standing back, and I had some church members over here and church members over here and a doctor here that thought I had just lost my rocker. Because I said, you know what, Satan? Greater is he that is in me than in you, and I'm going to rip your head off and spit down your windpipe. Bring it on. I'm not giving up on Jesus Christ. That doctor's, I, I know that sounds vulgar and mean, but folks, that's where the pain and the suffering was at that time. I was angry at this. And at that moment, that was a changing game moment for me where I decided, wait a minute, I go around preaching easily, don't give up, don't give up. And that's easy to say when things are good. But when things are desperate, and Satan's telling me, give up on the ministry, go back to mining, you're a terrible father, you can't even take care of your own child. Look at this, you can't even afford the bills that they're bringing to you. I was ready to walk away from all of it, and at that moment, when I read those words, it says, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. We don't have any room to draw back if we want to please God, ladies and gentlemen. Now, if we want to understand chapter 11. Now, chapter 11 is the great hall of fame chapter of faith, is it not? Some of you have read it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are brand new Christians. Let me just tell you. Chapter 11 is known by all theologians as the great hall of fame chapter it lists one after another Moses Noah Rahab others after others about and through faith and by faith and by faith they were this so we understand chapter 10 now and then he gives them this long list of these hall of fame people then he jumps into chapter 12 jump over there with me real quickly chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 very simply We'll get to chapter 11 in just a minute. But to understand why the Hall of Fame list. 
Because a lot of times when we read that Hall of Fame list, you know what we normally do? I could never be that. I could never do that. Well, that's because you haven't been put in a place that your faith needs to be challenged. Ladies and gentlemen, those men and women that are mentioned in chapter 11 were ordinary, sinful men in desperate need of God just like you and I. So look at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses, who's these witnesses? It's all of chapter 11. All these people that were before us, surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on who, folks? Say it with me. Come on, say it with me. Jesus. Why Jesus? Next phrase there. He says, on Jesus, what is he? The source and the perfecter of our faith. For who the joy that lay before him endured a cross, despised the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of God's throne. You see, my struggle with my faith is that sometimes I think I'm my own source of faith. Well, I just don't have enough faith. Like it grows on trees, and I'm going to go out in the morning and pick some off and eat it and go, there, I have my faith. Or like we have to create it. There's some that try to manipulate it. Folks, you cannot manipulate faith. You cannot create faith. It, the source and the perfecter of faith is who? Jesus. We read it right there. He's the source and perfecter. Now, understanding that he's the source and perfecter and understanding that we're encouraged not to give up on faith, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 now, verses 1 and 2. Uh, two simple verses about faith. Look what it says. It says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For our ancestors won God's approval by it. That's what faith is. So today I want you to ask the question, where is my faith? And I want to share with you real quickly three things that faith is. Number one, God works through faith. And you need to understand only through faith. See, sometimes we want to get into the work of God, but we don't want to be challenged. We don't want to be put in a place that we're required to have faith. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to be anywhere except where it takes faith. Because when you're outside of faith, then you can, ex you can explain it by what you can do. We can say, wow, look what we, we did. We were able to plant this church and grow this church. And, and I know your pastor's heart, which, by the way, you'll be hard-pressed to find a pastor in the state that I love more than Hyden Ratner. But I know his heart. And I know his heart is, is, wait a minute, I don't want to, because see, if we build it up, you know that old song we used to sing, the wise man buildeth upon the rock and the foolish man builds on the sand, and when the rains came and washed away, you see, when we build something, it will wash away. I want something that lasts forever and ever. Oh, as we sang, your love is enduring forever. I want a God who endures forever. And God only works through faith. As the writer gives this long list of heroes who live by faith, God is pointing out over and over and over again, listen, if you want to walk with me, then it's walk through faith. There's not any other walk, folks. I can't point you to an easier one. I can't point you to a simpler one. If we're going to walk in the walk then it's going to require faith. Because when we read the word of God, that faith is what heals us. You remember when Jesus says, your faith has made you whole to the woman with the issue of blood. Remember the, the centurion that had a child that was dying. He says, listen, because of your faith, that child is healed. Folks, we need to have faith. 
He leads and calls by faith. Abraham had to leave all of his family and do what? Go out to a place he didn't know that God called him. You will go by faith. Abraham says, where are we going, Lord? And he says, I'll tell you when you get there. We ready for that? I like the Apostle Paul. Do you think the Apostle Paul would have signed up for everything if he would have known what was going to happen? What do you think if, if God would have sat down with him and said, hey, Paul, listen. Do I have a deal for you? Listen, you, you're going to be a most prolific writer of the New Testament. You are going to uh, be one of the great missionaries of our time and church planters of our time that, that will be recognized for centuries. And I imagine at that time, Paul would be going, yes, I am. I am going to do that and more. And, Paul, and then God says to Paul, well, wait, 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 there's one problem here. You're going to do all of that in prison. You're going to be shipwrecked not just once, but three times. You're going to be bit by a venomous snake. You're going to be stoned almost to death. The Bereans are going to try to kill you. We're going to have to lower you over a fence. Kings and Romans are going to try to kill you. And it's not going to end real pretty, Paul. Do you think Paul would have said, sign me up? Where's the dotted line? You see, because his faith was not on what he was going to accomplish or how it was going to be, understand that when God calls us, he calls us into faith. He challenges us and he says, listen, you can do this through me. Don't look at what you're able to do. I'm so excited you guys have baptism. If I can just touch on that a little bit. Next week is baptism. And right now I know there's probably somebody going, I just never, I just can't do that. I just can't do that. I want to say, where's your faith? Man, it's not up to you to do it. It's just say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm surrendering. I'm following before you. And I remember that night at the hospital, I went, Lord, I've given up on faith. I wanted to give up on you, and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to remain in confidence of who you are, Jesus Christ. That was a game changer for me. Where I said, okay, God, I've got nothing else. We got to understand that Jesus only saves by faith. It's not by works as any man should boast. We're saved by grace through faith. So let me ask you, is your relationship, is it weak? Is it non-existent because you're trying to substitute you for your faith? Number two, faith is a gift from God. It's through the word and the spirit. It's not some emotional kind of wishful thinking. It has an inner conviction based on the word of God. Do you understand? It's not something that Pastor Hyden or myself or Pastor Dean or somebody else can manipulate or create. We can't do the Tinkerbell, bro, prixie dust in your face and you got faith all of a sudden. It's when it's between you and God and it's very intimate and it's very personal and you're on that stump of surrender that I've often said where you're sitting there going, God, I have nowhere to go but to you and I surrender. Look at Romans 10, 17 on the screen with me. So faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message of Christ. You see, you understand that in verse 11, it's really not a formal definition of faith. Rather, it's a description of what faith does. It makes things hoped for as real as if they already had them. It provides an unshakable evidence that the unseen spiritual blessing of Christianity are absolutely certain. You see, it was a game changer where I didn't Try to guess, is God going to do something? It was where I was in a place I said, God, if you don't, I'm sunk. And then it lets God do what he wants to do. 
You see, when you see words like reality and proof, it should help us see, 20, uh, see things in a 2020 spiritual vision. As in the Old Testament, we see that they had faith. Noah had faith, and he saw the coming judgment of God through a rainstorm, even though he had never seen it rain. Abraham saw a future city. Joseph saw the exodus of Egypt. And Moses saw God. So faith must have some revelation from God, some promise as God's foundation. It's not some leap in the dark. It demands the surest evidence in the universe, and it finds, and it's found in the Word of God. You see why those charge groups are so important? Get into the Word of God, and the more you get to know who God is, the more it's easier to say, God, I give up. I trust you. So faith is what? Look at the screen. Three things that I wrote down here for you. Faith is confidence in the trustworthiness of God. I'm going to trust you, God. You said it. I'm going to trust you. You know, I just shared a story about that son of mine and, and the issue. And some people come up and say, are you nervous? Are you worried? Folks, the safest place my son will ever be is in the will of God. The safest place you will ever be is in the will of God. The most perfect place you will be is in the will of God. And that to be in that will of God is to say faith is confidence in the trustworthiness of God. I can trust you, Lord. You've got this. I don't care what the circumstances. You got it. Number two, it's the conviction that what God says is true. You want to know one of my sins? I preach a good message, but sometimes I don't always live a good message. And I allow frustration and doubt and circumstances to get to me. You look at this crazy world. I mean, Hawaii just had a, a false uh, uh, report of a ballistic missile. Could you imagine the terror and the fear and everything that happened at that thing? And folks, there's going to be a time that we're just going to have to say, God, you've got this because there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. I want to trust you at your word. And your word says that for me to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. So Lord, if I was to die today, I'm going to be in glory. I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Man, what freedom. Man, we talk about freedom. What freedom to do whatever God has called us to do. How could you do that, Pastor Kevin? Man, I can do it because God's got this. And I'm going to take, his, take him seriously at his word. Number three, what God promises will come to pass. We've got to start living in God's promises. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says, man, I'll watch over you. I'll, I'll, I'll protect you. I'll love you. I'll provide for you. Folks, we need to live like that. That's the walk. You know how much more believable we'll be out in the world if we would live like that? If we would simply live like that. Live in a way that we're believable. Let me end with my last point. Faith is always tested. And we're going to close with this. Look at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 32 through 39. He says, and no more can I say. Time is short. Uh, too short for me to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Japheth and David and Samuel and the prophets. Who by faith conquered kingdoms administered judges, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. In other words, he's saying, I, I told you this whole list in chapter 11, but I can't tell you all the rest. He says, 
They quenched the raging fires, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put forth armies in flight. Women received their dead. They were raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonments. Listen to this, folks. They died by the sword. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins and destitute and afflicted and mistreated. Now here's what I want you to hear. And the world, the writer says this, was not worthy of them. I feel compelled to end right there. The world was not worthy of them. greatest words I think I could ever hear my Savior say is, you know what, Kevin? You went through all that. The world was not worthy of you, but I am pleased that you remain faithful. I am pleased that you remain confident in me. I'm pleased that you didn't give up on me. So let me ask you, as we're going to close here, where's your faith? You see, that was my game-changing moment for me. I've had tons of them. I, I don't have enough time to talk to you about all of them. Listen, God has knocked me around in a loving way, more than you could ever imagine. But what is your game-changing? Is it today? Because right now you're going, you know what? My faith is not as strong, and I'm going through this, and I want to give up. And I want to give up on my marriage. I want to give up on my, my job or my relationship. I want to give up on my faith get everything that I thought I was promised and you understand you were only promised Jesus Christ and that's all that we really need you were only promised the Messiah and the Savior you have all that you need and he is your greatest desire so I pray the Holy Spirit would move upon your heart right now and that you would respond in some way well, Pastor Hayden's going to get up here I'm going to pray for you but Hayden is going to come up and he's going to share how you can respond. But I pray that you don't leave this place the same way because Satan is wanting you to give up. He is throwing everything at you. But as the writer of Hebrews says, don't throw away your confidence in Jesus Christ.